0: Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. (laughs) Thanks, Kristen. Really appreciate you leading us this morning. Um, I'm excited to be here, excited to start a new series with you. My name is Wilson, I get to pastor here at this church, and we're, we're going to go through a series called City Monks. Oh, by the way, my friend Eric is here, he pastors Cerritos Baptist Church, one of the four people I hang out with as pastors, and um, if you end up leaving our church because you're mad at me, go check out his church if you're next to Cerritos. Um, and if you're church hopping and you live by Cerritos, another, another great opportunity to check out that church. So we're going through this series called City Monks and I have a question but my iPad's not connecting right now so you can put it up on the backup slide. And the question for us today as we break off into small groups like we do every week is what are a few priorities that you order your days and weeks around? Uh, the second question is what has, how has a life transition reordered your life? So we're gonna talk about this concept of order, how we're ordering our life. How, when we look at our schedule, our daily rhythms, what comes first, what comes second? What do we revolve our life around? So an easy idea of order is that I order my life around my sleep, like most of you. Nothing's gonna come on my schedule at 3 a.m. because my life is ordered around my sleep. My life is ordered around my meals. Those are set things in the schedule, priorities. For many of us, our lives are ordered around work. And so think about your iCal, Think about your rhythm. Think about how you've ordered your life over the last week, uh, over uh, when you think about the next day. And um, also think about some life transitions, how they've reordered your life. I remember when I started dating, my friends thought I was dead. You know, they, they couldn't get a hold of me over text. We couldn't hang out because I was dating. Um, and, uh, and that reordered my life, right? All my friends fell down a slot. So what are, some, what are some priorities that, have, that order your life? And uh, we'll come back in five minutes. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we always break off into groups of two or three to do a little bit of discussion and break out in our service. I hope you enjoy that. All right, I'll see you in five. Check, check, one, two. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um... Can I get a few people just to, like, share what you or the person next to you shared? Like, what are some things that has reordered your life? Or what are some things that you've, you've put your life around, ordered your life around? School. Thank you for participating. I was really worried we'd just be sitting awkwardly, you know? All right. Oops. Let's see. My... It only works part of the time, though. No. Huh? Okay. Oh, man, this was cool, and then it became a scribbly line. Okay, anyone else? Work, Work yeah. Anything else? Kids. Kids. Oh, girlfriend. Yeah? Volleyball. Hmm? Oh, thank you. Finally, someone said it. Sermon's over. How about any life transitions that, that has happened um, that have, like, reoriented your life? Oh, let me try to plug this in. What was that? Marriage. Marriage. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, moving. Moving, yeah. Okay, let's see. COVID. COVID. Oh, man. All right. Marriage. Uh, moving. COVID, you know, when I think about moving, I, I, I lived in Singapore for a year, and it was a complete reorientation because I started sleeping in a totally different schedule, right? When you, you're like living in a different world, and your whole, um, your whole lifestyle gets turned around. Any, anything else? What was it, Vicky? Donuts? Illness. Illness. Very different, okay, yeah, um, some illnesses, if they are continual, you have to adjust you have to adjust your whole life. Vicky works with stroke patients, so their whole life is reoriented um, after a stroke oftentimes, so these are great ideas of what it means to order your life on a day to day, what it means to reorder your life when you have a huge transition. I remember when me and Nina um, no, we didn't get pregnant. When she got pregnant, she's been correcting me a lot. Because are we giving up sashimi? Are we not drinking alcohol? Are we sleeping on our back instead of, instead, uh, on our side instead of our back? So we are not. She got pregnant um, um, with our first son, Liam. We were expecting. And, um, and I remember she took her pregnancy test. We, we didn't know how to read it properly. So she went to work thinking she wasn't pregnant. And I re-read the label, and I re-looked at the test, and then I freaked out. And I called her to let her know that we were pregnant, I mean, she was pregnant, and uh, she didn't pick up the phone. And so I remember just like very close to a nervous breakdown, because we were not trying. Uh, we were just drunk on Valentine's Day. And, um, and I was walking the block, and I was like, what are we going to do? She's in school full-time, I'm trying to start a church. Like it was, it was this huge reordering of our life. When we think, I didn't write down my notes, I just said it. Uh, when we think about reordering our life, this is one of the concepts I want to put in front of you as we think about city monks. Because what it means to be a monk it is someone who reorders their life around Jesus. Their schedule, their weekly with rhythms, what is most important to them. That's why a monk Joins a monastery. I was listening to an interview of a monk and he said, it's not that I wanted to be less busy. I wanted to be the most busy with Jesus. And that's why I slowed down the rest of my life. And so our sermon series is going to be on the monk, the monastery, and the city. So the first slide is on the monk. What does it look like to live in contrast to a busy city where we learn to slow down and stop? And reorder our life around Jesus. That he's the most important thing we do every day and every week. And then the second concept is on the monastery. So the second three weeks we're talking about what it looks like to live in community rhythms. God set this up as the Sabbath from creation. The Jewish people have done this for 30 centuries. It wasn't an individual rhythm. It was a community, a nation of rhythm, of stopping and slowing down to be with Jesus. I think a lot of times when we think about church, it's like Chipotle. You go in and you just kind of pick and choose how you want to construct church. Like, I'll go once a week. I'll go to small groups and not Sunday. I'll serve when it's convenient for me. But if you were to join a monastery as a monk, you're not like, hey, monks, I'm skipping out on five o'clock prayer meeting. I got to finish my game, you know. I'm going to go running instead. There are rhythms that you're committing into When you join a monastery. And I want to invite you into not only individual expressions of being with Jesus. But communal ones that the Bible lays out for us. Um, So I want to draw more definition around around what it means to be a part of Renew. Not as a way of excluding and including people. But as a way of continual invitation into the rhythm of God. Into a new way of life. And then lastly we have the city. The city. And the city, in some ways, we're living in contrast to. It's busy. It's consuming. It's, distract- it's distracting. It has different values than us. And we want to live as monks. But in another way, we are living in a city where we're impacting because of that difference. Because of our unhurriedness, the peace that we carry, the presence of God that we hold in our hearts, we impact our workplace and why we're doing what we do. We see it as ministry instead of a job. We go into the fringes and the marginalized in the city to be light there. We're looking at where we can reach, uh, where we can reach as a church where the gospel has uh, been unsaturated, where people are unreached. And so those are our three weeks, uh, th- three series, three per week. And today we're starting off with Mary and Martha, one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. Very beloved. And I'm looking at this as a contrast from Mary as a city dweller caught in the busyness of life as opposed to Mary who is our model monk. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her house to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are close friends of Jesus. They're the kinds of friends you go to when um, you don't want to be busy. When you want to slow down, relax, kind of take off your shoes and be yourself. And that's how Jesus moves into Mary and Martha's home often. And Lazarus as well. As a place of refuge for him. As a place where he can um, not be in some ways a teacher and rabbi and just be a friend. But he's teaching here... And, and Martha is filled with anxiety as he's, she's thinking about hosting Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes me and Nina are like, let's just invite people over week over every week so that we clean our home. Like, that's like when our house is clean is when you see it. And sometimes you look at it you're like, it's not that great, you know? Um, and I don't know about you, but some of you might have grown up in a culture or in a home where, where how your house looked represented your life. That's what one of the small group members was sharing with me. He was so pressured to clean his room, clean his house when his guests came over. Even as a high school student, he's inviting like another smelly high school over, right? Who does not care? But his dad is like, you have to clean the house because our house represents our life. If our house is disorderly, then our whole life uh, is disorderly. Now, we, we clean up often for our friends or our small group, but imagine, imagine having to host Jesus. That's a lot of pressure, you know, like Jesus is coming over. Me and Nina would spend a month cleaning the house uh, if Jesus was coming over. Martha felt that in her culture, in Jewish culture, when you invited a guest over, you honored them by how you hosted. And if you were bringing home an honored guest, like a teacher or rabbi, this was actually an honor to the home that was hosting it. Your reputation was bolstered by the people that you got to host and by how you hosted them. So Martha felt a lot of pressure as Jesus was coming in. And we see also the ways that she was being described in that busyness, in that city mindset of going 100 miles an hour. Right? We see that, here are some of the words that uh, describe her. She was distracted by all the preparations. We also see um, her judging Jesus, which is probably not the best thing to do. Lord, don't you care? Kind of saying like you don't care. She was being judgmental to him, to her sister. Right, My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Then we see how Jesus describes her worried. And upset about many things. And we also see that she's being tired. When you look at the word "distracted," there's, uh, the Greek connotation is being dragged around, being dragged around, and it's kind of the sense that we have in the city where maybe we're not we're moving purposefully through the week. We're just like obeying our eye cow. We're just a robot. One thing hits us, then another thing hits us, and we barely have a time, time to look up. We're, we're so distracted at all the things coming at us every week that we're not really asking why we're doing them anymore. We're, we're on the ends of the strings of everyone else's expectations and demands, and we're being dragged around. And then secondly, we see when we are busy in the life of busyness that we start to judge the people around us. And sometimes we judge God, which is an amazing thing to do. But we do it, don't we? We accuse God of not caring. We accuse God of being um, a slave owner, just asking us to do more and more tasks. We think we look at the people around us, and we, we have this gavel out, like unworthy. You're unworthy to serve. You're unworthy to serve. You shouldn't be um, leading a small group. You shouldn't be leading worship. Why aren't you doing as much as I am? And we can... Instead of looking at Jesus, we start looking around, and we judge the people around us. We see that Martha is worried. Being worried means that we care, but we're caring about the wrong things and too many things. We're not caring about the things that matter. Have you ever felt worried? And and when you really make a list, you're like, wow, there's like 80% of this list I have no control over or I shouldn't be worrying about. But it's eating up my mind. A thousand little tasks, right, consuming us. And lastly, we see that Martha was upset because she wasn't sitting in front of Jesus. She was was working out of a place of emptiness instead of love, a place of bitterness, a place of anger. And I've been in church long enough to see people serve upset. They come in and they're like grumbling as they move things. Right, one person walks outside and starts dropping f-bombs because things aren't coming together, or another another person is upset at another worship team member, so they're like yelling at them, full blown. And there's a sense that they're not living in relationship with the Lord, but they're living the life of the city. They're they're burning out. There's, these are the five sense of, signs of burnout, whether it's in your family whether it's at your workplace, whether it's at church, this this life that is distracted, that is caring and caring about too much, things that don't matter, a life of judgment, of being angry and fatigued. And then we look at Mary's life as we look back at this passage. And we see what her priorities are, right? Um, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he had to say. You see, Martha wasn't just distracted by all these things. She was distracted from Jesus. She missed Jesus while serving him. She missed Jesus while serving him. You know, she had this goal of giving him a place of safety and comfort and rest. And instead, because she's leaking, because she's angry, because she's bitter, she actually drags him into an awkward conversation, right? Hey, get between me and my sister and be the arbitrator. She, she puts him in the most awkward situation. She accuses him. And, and Mary's distraction isn't just distracting her of something unimportant. She's, she's being distracted of, of the most important thing. Mary, on the other hand, in contrast, our monk is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then we see that Mary has chosen what is better. I bet Martha thought she was doing the better. I bet Martha felt like me serving Jesus is far better than sitting at his feet. And I wonder if we, when we're missing Jesus, feel like we're doing something better. Like Christian ministry, like being with our family, like work. All those things are good. But oftentimes we get so bombarded by so many things that that, that distraction is, um, is, is becomes an idol. And it becomes us thinking that we're doing the better. But Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better. And that there's only one thing that is needed. Right? And that thing is sit, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary is a monk. She reorders her life around the one thing. She felt the pressure of hosting. She felt the pool of expectations. She felt the busyness of what it meant to to bolster her reputation, to care for a friend in the middle of a busy dinner. And yet, she reordered her life around the one thing. She sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he wanted to say. And instead of being distracted... What do we look at, how do we see Mary's life? How do, when we sit at Jesus' feet, what happens? We become, we go from distracted people to people with purpose. When you look at Jesus' life, he sat in front of the Father's feet often. He often spent nights listening to God. And then, how did he move? It doesn't, it never says Jesus runs. It never says Jesus rushes. He always walks. He walks from one city to another. He takes 30 years before he starts his ministry. He lives an unhurried life, even as the savior of the world. And here we are in a city where we can just be running 100 miles an hour in a dozen different directions, going nowhere. Going in circles. Going east when we should be going west. Jesus instead is undistracted and he walks with purpose from one place to another. That's what I want as I get a little older. I I really don't think busyness means that you're productive. I really don't think that filling up your schedule means that you're fulfilling God's calling. I want to take one step after another, but with precision and intention and focus. Because I heard God's calling in my life and I'm responding to it. Instead of just doing what I'm told. Instead of trying to fulfill expectations. We also see that... Instead of being worried, uh, Jesus Jesus has peace. And he doesn't succumb to the expectation of others. He doesn't care about what people think of him, what they're saying of him. He'll go to one town and everyone will applaud and say, stay here longer. And he says, I have to go to the next. Because my father is calling me. Right? He only cares about what the father has for him instead of all these other voices another town he'll be booed he'll be threatened and it won't chase him out he'll continue to stay there because his father wants him there he's not carrying all of the expectations of a hundred different people he's not worried and then we don't we see uh mary oh no what's oh i'm sorry hold on Okay, uh, we see uh, peace. Now the writing's getting worse. Focus. I, I forgot what I put. I making it up. Purpose. What was that? Purpose. That's what I meant. All right, so instead of judgment, uh, when you are sitting with Jesus, an evidence that you slow down to be with him is that you can extend grace to people around you. Because your eyes aren't focused at those around you. Your eyes are focused on the Lord. And you're receiving grace. Right? Isn't that how we move into the presence of God through grace? He forgives us. He gives us mercy. And then we move in to acceptance and love. And if that's what we're sitting under isn't that how we sit with the people around us? We don't just pigeonhole them. We don't categorize them. We don't slander or gossip about them. We extend grace grace to hear, grace to understand, grace to walk with them. Instead of judgment, instead of being upset, we serve with joy. And instead of being fatigued, we're filled. Are are we joyfully serving our family? Are we joyfully serving in our workplace? Are we joyfully loving our friends and listening to them and extending mercy? We're able to serve with joy instead of bitterness, instead of anger, instead of being upset because we're sitting with Jesus and we're filled by him. We're not fatigued and we're receiving so much love that we can't help but love the people around us. We're We're receiving so much compassion by sitting at his feet That we are extending compassion to another. Isn't that the most important thing we can do in life? Is to slow down, reorganize our life, and sit at the feet of Jesus. You know, I remember when I first met Nina, the the reason why I married her is because I loved being with her. I knew a lot of women. I had laughs with a lot of women. I did ministry with a lot of women. Um, I was attracted to a lot of women. But when I think about Nina, there's like no one. There's no one that I wanted to be with every single moment. Where I longed to be with her soul. Because there's no one who has Nina's soul. And when I found her soul, I was like, my soul loves sitting next to your soul. I feel safe. I feel like I could be myself. I feel like I have nothing to prove. That I could just be with you whether we're eating or watching a movie, or sitting in silence, I love being next to you. Don't you have those relationships in your life, friends that you just want to see because you miss them? It doesn't matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter where you meet, you just want to be with them. Isn't that how you feel with your closest family members? That you just miss their presence? And isn't that why you became a Christian? Not because of community, not because you wanted to be a better person, not because you wanted to go to heaven, but because you fell in love with this Jesus. And you're like, I just want to be with you. I love being with you. That's the most important work I have. The most important, significant thing I can do is to be with, with my king, with my savior. Isn't that why he dies for us? So Because sin separated us from him. And he's like, I want to be with you. So he lays down his life on the cross to forgive us so that we're not orphans, we're family. We're not enemies, we're friends. We're not sinners, we're righteous. So that he can live inside of us. So that we can sit in front of him. So that we can spend time with him. We need to learn how to slow down and reorganize our life. Is our life organized around being with the Lord? We've organized our life around many things that we were listing. But it's the most important thing. The most significant thing in how you organize your life. The centrality of being with Jesus. Of sitting at his feet. Uh, One of the most practical things I can help you with today is to learn to slow down. We live in a really busy city where we're going 100 miles an hour. And when we're not running 100 miles an hour, oftentimes we do something that stimuli- stimulates us. Because we're, I'm like a crack addict. Like I need a, another adre- adrenal hit, right? I need another stimulation. So even after I put down my work, which is speeding up, right? I pick up Netflix or a game or I look at my Bitcoin and see how far it's dropping, right? And all those things, they're not slowing down. They're speeding up. I started to take a log of what speeds up my mind, my adrenal system, my soul. And I started to value silence and solitude. And so I'm asking, how do I slow down? Slowing down is the half step of sitting with Jesus. So I slow down by being with my kids and being fully immersed in their imagination. I slow down by taking a bath. I love bathing. I don't know if you knew that. It's kind of embarrassing now that I say it. Um, I love playing volleyball. I love having extended time with friends or journaling. And even housework I use as a way to slow down, to embrace boredom, to embrace limits, to embrace my mind not racing anymore. And then after I slow down, then we can move into sitting with Jesus quietly and saying, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I just want to enjoy your presence. I want to spend time with you. But if we're city folks, all we know is going 100 miles an hour. And, and, and sometimes we're avoiding slowing down because we don't want to tackle that problem. We don't want to look at ourselves. We, would, we don't want to um, admit a brokenness inside of us. Slowing down forces us to look inward. And some of us have spent years avoiding that. How do we slow down so that we could sit with Jesus? And how are we reorganizing our lives around that? It's in the silence that we hear God. right? You think about Elijah running 100 miles an hour, outrunning a chariot, calling down fire from heaven, dueling false prophets. And he is burnt out. He is tired. He's talking about death. He is depressed. And then he goes to a mountainside and what happens? God, a a wind blows through. The earth shakes. A fire roars. But God is not in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. He's not in the loud and the busy and the spectacular in this moment. He comes in a whisper, it says. But in the Hebrew, it's translated a sheer silence. I think about the psalms that says, be still and know that I'm God. Maybe we don't know God. Maybe we haven't been able to sit with him because we don't know how to slow down. And we haven't embraced the silence in our life. The last slide is extremely practical again. How are you organizing your daily rhythm around Jesus? And is this the most important thing you do every day? We offer uh, kind of at your doorstep devotionals through Psalms. You can find it on the link tree. And that's been such a blessing to me to do my uh, to do Bible plan with all of you and to just kind of go through the, the Psalms or we did Proverbs uh, last month to write a devotional down. And what I try to do is that Um, again, we just kind of pull out our phones and and get that stimulation, right? Uh, Scrolling through 40-second videos for 15 hours, um, looking at the last story our friend posted. So when I'm pulling out my phone, I'm trying to to change my pace and say, okay, I'm going to stop and look at that Bible verse again. Right? I've already spent time looking at it in the morning, thinking about it, praying through it. But what if every time you pulled out your phone, you just stopped and said, hey, let me just read one more verse. Let me think about that, that, that phrase once more. And let me just draw God into this space. I want to invite all of you onto that Bible plan. We're starting tomorrow. Secondly, we do a 7 a.m. devotional. We're reading St. Augustine's Confession over Zoom. You're welcome to join that as well. You don't have to do what we're doing. But, but is Jesus and sitting with him the most important part of your day? Or have you organized the rest of your life and he's not in it? Is he easily bumped off the schedule, right? When we think about how are we organizing our weekly rhythms, I think about our Sunday Sabbath, how God instituted a a full 24 hours from the beginning of time, how Jewish people for 30 centuries have done Sabbathing as a community. Think about how deep that goes into your bones, where you've, your culture has done it for 30 centuries, stopping together as a family, as a city, as a nation to be with the Lord. I was talking to um, someone, and she, and she was like, hey, the f- first month in January and, and December, I missed church because I was worried about Omicron. But in, in February, I missed church just because I got lazy. And I loved her honesty. I think we need to be honest about where church ranks in our family. What we're communicating to our kids that is more important than stopping to be with Jesus. We've also organized uh, small groups. You don't have to do, sometimes we're prevented from going to church. I understand that. But is Sabbathing the most important thing you do in the week? To say I'm not my work. I'm I'm a child of God. To say that I'm not going to work in order to rest, I'm going to work out of my rest. And thirdly, how are we organizing our monthly rhythms or our yearly rhythms uh, as a church? We're giving we're doing half day retreats with Jesus. Becca sets that up. It's an amazing time to extend that moment of being with the Lord. And then we're trying to do renewal retreats. So our young adult and college ministry um, we're where our retreat is themed off of being quiet with the Lord and sitting with him, teaching us how to be monks in that way. You know, I moved into this. The first time I remember really valuing silence and solitude was off of one of the hardest months of pastoring at Renew. It was about 30 days where I had 13 difficult conversations, where people were either mad at me or wanted to leave the church or both. I remember one specific day uh, where I had two of my hardest conversations back to back. And both of them went over three hours. So we did like two and a half hours of like really hard conversation, talking about hurt and pain both ways, honest and good. And then the second one, same thing, tearing. Like I cried in both meetings. And I remember going home, one conversation after another, and I couldn't recover emotionally. Um, I felt so hurt and so angry. And oftentimes in those moments, I'm just trying to pastor and be a counselor. So I'm not expressing what I feel. I just kind of take the nails, you know, and, and extend grace. But, but the nails are still piercing. And it's not like I didn't hurt those people as well. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that in those conversations, uh, I was trying to pastor them. But the hurt and the anger ended up coming at Nina, at Liam, at Levi. I don't know if Levi was born. Just at Liam. Levi was spared. Um, And at a certain point, Nina just didn't feel safe anymore. She didn't know when I was just going to go off. And I said, hey, can I just take, she's like, do whatever you need to do, but we need to, this can't be our marriage. Like, if you need to leave the church, if you need to find another job, do that. Um, I asked for three days to do a silent retreat. I went to Thousand Oaks where my cousin lives. And I just spent three days sitting with the Lord. And I felt him pull me back together. I felt him mend me. I felt the anxiety, the worry, turn to this loving gaze where I just saw Jesus. And everyone else faded into the background. I felt his grace wash over me so that I could extend that to the people I I hurt and had hurt me. I felt him re-anchor my soul as I sat with him. I don't think there's anything more important for our generation that is stimulated all the time, living in a busy city, than to learn how to slow down, to learn how to be quiet, to learn how to, to stare at the face of Jesus and say that this is the one thing. This is the one thing. God, I just thank you so much for making life simple in some ways. That all we really need is you to stop and be with you. To enjoy your presence, to say that you're really all we need. I pray, Lord, that in every day this next week, we would fight to reorder our lives around you and find that as we center our lives around you, all the other things either get cut out or reordered where it makes sense. It's simple. We don't have to carry all of it. We don't have to be pulled apart. We can just be with you and have you order our life. Teach us how to do that. It's, it's years of work. But I just believe in great spiritual mental health, a life of, of calling and responding to that call of purpose as we learn to do this well. In Jesus' name, amen. And to go ahead and um, lead us in communion. If, you would, um, if you're a believer, we invite you into this moment to connect with the Lord. Everything we do on Sunday is for you to fall in love with Jesus, to sit at his feet, for it to be relational, not a task list. So today as we take communion together, um, we remember that this is Jesus' body broken for us. This is his blood shed for us. And as we partake of his death and his resurrection, we remember that he died in order to be with you, in order to sit with you, in order to spend time with you. Father, we love you. We're grateful for bringing us close, closer than we can know. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take communion together. All right, we're just going to spend the last five minutes going back into our group and just asking those questions that are on the board. Uh, Maybe for some of you, Jesus isn't worth reorganizing and reordering your life around. You're just learning about him. You're just trying to understand who he is. That's totally okay. But for those of you who are Christian, for those of you who say that he's my Lord and Savior how can we joyfully do this, reorder our life? Not because it's a burden or a task list, but because he's the most important person we want to spend time with. We'll do five minutes there, and then we'll uh, step back into worship.
1: Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, We're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program, and your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Erwin or Kevin will do for the Kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.